Amen. May be seated. I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read once again verses 14 through 17. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, whose soul is birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In my opening remarks last week, I pointed out that the central idea of these verses concerned this matter of falling short of the grace of God, falling short of the grace of God, following his exhortation to his readers to strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 14, the author of Hebrews then instructs his readers in verse 15 See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, lest this, that, and the other happens. I want to zero in on that verse this morning. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. As far as the author is concerned, there is such a thing as a professing believer failing to obtain or falling short of the grace of God, which is most serious. So serious as to necessitate the vigilance of the church. The Greek verb that's translated, see to it, is a present active participle which denotes constant, ongoing activity. So that the literal rendering of verse 15 is seeing to it or taking care that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now read in light of verse 14, the thrust of this exhortation Here in verse 15 is that one effective way in which a body of believers strive for peace with everyone and for holiness is by constantly taking care, looking among themselves so as to ensure that no one in their ranks is failing in the area of the grace of God. And here we have a tremendous lesson, a tremendous lesson as to what it means to be our brother's keeper. 
as to what is involved in looking out for the spiritual welfare, the spiritual well-being of our fellow believers in Christ. This instruction we have this morning, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, suggests that in the church there are weak and faltering believers. In virtually every church we will find believers who are not as strong as other believers, Christians who are in need of special help, special encouragement from stronger and more mature brethren. These we are to look for, we are to look out for, and not to lord it over them, not in the sense of lording it over them and their faith, but to lovingly come alongside them with words of encouragement and where necessary with words of challenge. But the instructions, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, also suggests that there are some in the church who might not be truly saved and who need to be taught the gospel and led to faith in the Lord Jesus. The truth of the matter is seeing to the spiritual health of our fellow believers, seeing to the spiritual health of the salvation of the lost, is not only a means of maintaining peace and harmony in the church, but it is also a means whereby we, as Christians, pursue holiness. For after all, there is no true godliness, there is no true holiness, where there is not spiritual concern, where there is not concern for the spiritual health of our fellow Christians, as well as for the salvation of the lost. And specifically, as it relates to our text, we could say that to look to our fellow believers, to see to it that no one fails to obtain of the grace of God is part of what it means to look to the Lord Jesus as we run the race of faith. Remember what the author said, looking unto Jesus, while we run this race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Looking to Jesus, we are saying necessarily, will cause us, will open our eyes to see our failing, faltering brethren, impelling us to care for them, restoring them to faith in him and commitment to him. See to it, the writer says, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Addressed to the church and thus to each and every believer, the exhortation suggests that as Christians we should not be given to self-centeredness. Thinking that Christian living is just all about tending to, quote-unquote, my relationship with Jesus to the neglect of our spiritual responsibility to our fellow believers in Christ. It's not all about us. It's not all about our personal relationship with Christ. And that we should ever be seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God suggests that we cannot operate as though the struggles, the failures of our brothers and sisters in Christ are nothing of our concern, are none of our business. Why? Because based on what the Word of God teaches, believers in Christ are constituted one body so that in accordance with the will of God, there is to be a reciprocation of ministry, a mutual rendering of care one for another. 
1 Corinthians 12, 24 to 26, we read these words, God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body. He's talking about the body of believers, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, zeroing in on our text here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the question is, what does the author mean when he speaks of failing to obtain the grace of God? This is very important if we are to understand the thrust of this passage. What does the writer mean by the expression, fail to obtain the grace of God? The words fail to obtain translates a Greek word which means to fall behind. It is a word that is used in Hebrews chapter 4, the very same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 in connection with what the author speaks of as failing to enter God's rest. You remember the warning he issued there in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, let us therefore fear lest the promise left us of entering into that rest any of you should seem to come short of it. So that's the word that's used there in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. And in the context of this passage, remember the writer had been using the imagery of an athlete in a race, continuing with this imagery of a Christian, the Christian life as a race. The word in this context carries the idea of dropping back. It speaks of one's falling behind in a race. What the writer is saying here is this, look, we are all in the Christian race. Those of us who have placed faith and trust in Christ, and while we are running this race, we are to be seeing to it that no one is falling behind with respect to the grace of God. We still haven't said what does it mean to fall behind with respect to the grace of God. Now, the grace of God, to which the author refers, harks back to chapter 4 and verse 16. And in chapter 4, verse 16, you recall, it encourages readers to draw near to the throne of grace so that they may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well-known verse. To understand what this grace is all about, we have to look at the context in which this particular encouragement, this particular invitation was given. The writer had been expressing his concern regarding the fearful possibility of his readers falling away from the faith. This from as early as chapter 3, you recall, he told them in chapter 3 verse 6, he said this, we are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. Chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, in falling away from the living God. Chapter 3, verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 3, verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. In other words, how do we know we are saved? How do we know that we have come to participate in Christ? He says this, if indeed we hold our original confidence 
firm to the end. And then he continued with a warning in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fall behind. In other words, fail to reach it. Same word he uses here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, seeing to it that no one falls back, no one fails with respect to the grace of God. And then he further warned in chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, based on these sobering warnings regarding the real danger of one's falling away from the faith, a professing believer falling away from the faith, it appears, it appears that the grace to which the writer is referring here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 is, we would call it, the strengthening, enabling power of God by which believers in Christ persevere in the race of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Indeed, this has been the theme of the writer all the way from verse 1 to verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, look at Jesus. He says, while you're running this race, lest you become faint, lest you become weary in your minds. There's a threat of apostasy. You need to come to the throne of grace. And he's saying that they need this grace in order to navigate the rigors of trials in the form of God's discipline, in the navigating persecutions, and so on and so forth. Today, we refer to this as persevering grace. That is to say, the grace whereby one continues to believe and trust in Christ, remaining true to him, firm to him, at all cost, to the very end. So with the encouragement to come boldly to the throne of grace, chapter 4, verse 16, against the backdrop of the potential to fall away, to apostatize, there's a need to come to the throne of grace, to receive grace, comes the warning now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, regarding the real and fearful possibility of failing to avail oneself of this grace that is very much needed in order to persevere. You see the connection? The writer is, is virtually taking us back to chapter 4, verse 16, the invitation. Against the backdrop of all the warnings I've been giving you, he says, concerning becoming hard-hearted, concerning apostatizing, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. What kind of grace? Based on the context, it is persevering grace. And the writer is now saying, see to it that no one among you is falling behind with respect to this grace of God. We identify as persevering grace. Now, beloved, failing to obtain this persevering grace of God is critical. The question might be asked, why is it so critical that as Christians, we see to it that no one in our midst is falling behind, is failing with respect to the grace of God. What is so critical? What is so critical about one's falling short, about one's falling behind in the grace of God? And let me begin by answering this way. Failing to obtain the persevering grace of God is critical because it signals the possibility that one might not 
after all be truly saved that one is not a true, genuine believer in Christ. You see, the author was concerned about his readers falling short of the grace of God because, going back to chapter 6, verses 4 and 4 through 6, he saw them as being on the verge of irrevocably falling away from the faith. You remember what he said there by way of warning? He says this in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. He says it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and the powers of the age to come and were willingly carried along by the Holy Spirit if they should fall away to renew them again to repentance. We don't have time to go back over that, but you can go back to the tape, tape, <laughs> go back to the CD, go back online, and you can hear. And we establish then that what is in view there is not a true believer in Christ, because a true believer in Christ, based on our understanding of the word of God, can never apostatize. The reader was concerned about his readers falling short of God's grace because, as he saw it, they were on the verge of throwing away their confidence. In fact, that's the language he uses in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. He saw them on the verge of throwing away their confidence, succumbing to discouragement. They were in danger of lacking endurance to the point, to use his words again, of shrinking back unto destruction. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. As such, the exhortation to these believers was this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That exhortation was most timely. My friends, the challenge to you this morning is, how is it with your professed faith in Christ? Are you floundering? Are you wavering as far as your faith in Christ is concerned, as far as your professed faith in Christ is concerned? Yes, let me say once again, a true believer in Christ may through weakness, may through weakness falter and stumble. There's no question about that. True believer can falter, can flounder, can fail. But that's not the issue. The real issue is, here's the question, here is the crunch. Is this state of affairs, listen carefully, is this state of affairs a settled, consistent pattern in your life? Is it? You're not growing, you're not moving on in the faith, you're spiritually listless, complacent, you have no interest, no desire with respect to the things of God. Rather than going forward, you're on the retreat, on the decline spiritually. I'm not saying you are, I'm just using a hypothetical situation. Somebody leaves and say, pass it through a barrage of accusations. But here's the point. If these things are true of you, that is no good state for one to be in as a Christian. The question is, as far as faith in Christ and Christian living are concerned, are you, by God's grace, pressing on? Because this is what our text is all about. This is what the epistle to the Hebrews is all about. It is about challenging professing believers who are on the fringes or at a standstill who are more on the retreat than they are going forward 
for Christ. Again, let's be clear, the need for perseverance in the Christian life is no way is in no way opposed to the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. I believe that wholeheartedly that the believer in Christ is safe, the believer in Christ is secure, that is the true believer in Christ. The fact that one, having come to Christ in all sincerity, Christ has saved a person, Christ saves that person for keeps. The Bible teaches the eternal security of the believer. But here's the point. The Bible also teaches what is clearly set forth in the word of God as the perseverance of the saints. First of all, our Lord Jesus, on the matter of eternal security, declared in John 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, He who, who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And yet, the Bible also teaches the need for believers in Christ to persevere, to press on, to continue in the faith. Listen to Colossians 1, 22-23, and this is one among many passages. Christ Paul says in Colossians 1, 23 has no reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He has reconciled you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And of course, you remember our passage last week, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Follow after holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. In other words, pursue it, hunt after it, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That is to say, no one will enter God's heaven. And so on the authority of God's word, let me say this, that in the absence of such perseverance, in the absence of such effort, in the absence of such pressing on, one's profession of faith in Christ is suspect, is deemed spurious, is deemed by the word of God as not real. True believers in Christ persevere. True believers in Christ continue in the faith. In the second place, failing to obtain the persevering grace of God, failing to obtain the grace of God, to use the language of the writer, is critical because of, and here's where we see it in the text, because of the negative repercussions that such a state can have on other believers. Pressing on in the faith... Pressing on toward the grace of God is critical for believers. It is critical for the church because in the absence of the grace of God, this persevering grace of God, there are negative repercussions which can have a serious damaging effect on the spiritual state of the church. It can affect other believers is what the word of God is saying. Notice first of all what the writer says in verse 15. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Here it comes, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, 
and by many become defiled. What is this root of bitterness the writer is speaking about? In light of the previous instruction in verse 15 to strive for peace with all men, some interpret this, in fact this is a popular interpretation, some interpret this to mean a bitter, unforgiving spirit. And that's a reasonable deduction because one of the most contagious, contaminating sins we find in, in many a church is this spirit of bitterness, this spirit of unforgiveness, this spirit of ill will that can basically overtake, override a church, and even destroy a church. So I'm saying that based on the context, the immediate context in which the writer was saying, strive for peace, that interpretation is plausible. That the bitterness he's talking about here is a negative spirit of ill will. Feelings of, we would say, to use the word bitterness. <laughs> Feelings of ill will, malice that one harbors toward another. And that, of course, can have a debilitating effect on a church. However, because of the need for us to read scripture in light of scripture, we have to consider an alternative meaning for what the writer speaks of here as a root of bitterness. And behind this expression, root of bitterness, is Deuteronomy 29 verses 18 and 19. What is Deuteronomy 29, 18 and 19 all about? Well, in Deuteronomy 28... 18 and 19, Moses, in warning Israel to give attention to the state of their hearts before God, the state of their hearts and lives before God, here's what he tells them in Deuteronomy 29, 18 and 19. Listen carefully. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God, to go and serve other gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, and one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead Moses says, to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Notice, notice, beloved, what runs common to both that passage in Deuteronomy and this passage here going all the way up to verse 17, 15 through 17 of Hebrews chapter 12. What runs common to both is the presence of apostates. Later down, he's going to talk about Esau, who for, one, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. He counted it cheaply as nothing, and he said, what is this birthright to me? And what Moses was talking about, and what the writer clearly was referring to when he spoke of a root of bitterness or a bitter root among you, he was speaking of those professing believers who, while they are thrown together with the people of God, 
are not on the same page with the people of God when it comes to the matter of allegiance and devotion to God. Notice what Moses says. In their hearts, they have turned from the Lord to other gods. We have it in Esau. And while, what's worse, notice, go back to the passage we read from Deuteronomy 29. While they are among the fellowship, their hearts, according to Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, if you look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, their hearts are smug, their hearts are complacent in their sins. They consider themselves to be safe and okay even when they're dabbling in sin. Notice, go back to what they said. Beware lest there be among your root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this cup, sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart. I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to sweeping away of moist and dry alike. In other words, that kind of spirit will affect the body of believers. Translate this to where we are. Look at what the man says. He says in his heart, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. It's the Christian who says something like this. I believe in eternal security. It matters not how I live. As long as I said a prayer to Jesus, as long as I believe in Jesus, I'm okay. It doesn't matter how I live. I'm not pursuing holiness. And what Moses says here, what the word of God suggests here, the writer is saying here, we're to be looking lest anyone is failing in the grace of God, getting at that stage of apostasy where they are on their way out. It's a frightening thing. I was listening last Sunday afternoon to a recent, and I tell you, I don't recommend you do this, but I do a lot of this. I keep up with it. And if you don't know what you're doing, it will drive you into depression. So I spent the time last, a little time last week, probably about an hour, listening to the deconversion, the deconstruction story. A prominent musician, prominent singer, rapper. He had been walking, quote-unquote, walking with the Lord for how many years? I think he went back to college and everything. And it was so heartrending to hear him tell how he deconstructed the faith, how he deconverted. And you know, let me tell you what was most troubling. Let me tell you what was most troubling was this statement he made. <laughs> it's sad. He says, now I can get to do the sins I want. You say, how can somebody get there? How can one get there? The writer is talking about reaching to a point in the Christian life where one is so nominal, one gets into the flow of things, one is not concerned about holiness, one is not concerned about godliness, is constantly drifting, constantly drifting. Yes, still in the church, still in the church, but heart is far from Jesus. And the, the writer is saying we must be vigilant, we must be vigilant. See to it that no one is falling back, 
Falling back is dangerous. Why? Because it can lead to apostasy, which is final departure from God. You say, were they really saved? John says, no, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But by virtue of their going out from us, it is clear that they were not all of us. Such Moses warns Israel is a root-bearing, poisonous, bitter fruit who will bring about spiritual harm to the rest of the congregation. Let a person hold to this idea that once I pray, say a prayer that might be 10, 15 years ago, I believe in eternal security, but I'm not really living with the law, but I know I'm saved. The word of God is saying here, beware of that spirit, of that mindset. True believers persevere in holiness. True believers continue in their walk with Jesus right to the very end. Yes, they'll falter. Yes, they'll fail. They might even stumble and fall miserably. They might miserably fall. But here's what the word of God says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he falls down, he will not be utterly cast down. Why? For the Lord upholds him in his way. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You're all going to fall away from me tonight, but Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. You know how some Christians, professing Christians, reached here? And I've heard this story time and again. Tragedy strikes in one form or another in their life. And they can't wrap their brain around how God could allow this. And they look at how much you have served God. They look at what has come upon them. They say, no, 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 this can't be right. And they walk away from the faith. There's a professor today who is exerting poison, a poisonous influence on many people, causing them to lose faith. This professor, this theologian, had such an experience. The writer is saying, listen, we need to be wary because it's possible. In fact, read the parable of the sower. Our Lord Jesus suggested the parable of the sower. It's possible to believe for a time. You say, how long a time? There are people who evidently are professing faith for many years but were never truly saved. They were never really grounded in the Lord Jesus. And the writer is saying here, beloved, that when they are in the church professing Christians who are leading careless, complacent lives, when at heart they are unspiritual, when at heart they are ungodly, not only is it that they are coming short of the grace of God, but they are exerting a negative impact on others. They are taking others with them as well. Here's how it works. He so loved Jesus. She so loved Jesus. Boy, if he could fall like that, if she could fall like that, ooh, this thing must not be real. I better give up. Negative impact. Overall, the writer is saying then that becoming weary in the Christian race and more so failing to access the grace of God, the persevering grace of God, to appropriate this persevering grace is a malady that carries with it debilitating, defiling effect on other believers. 
Here's where what one writer Eric Sauer says. He says, though the bitter fruit which arises in your life, he says, through the bitter fruit which arises in your life, poison and weeds can be sown in the lives of others. Either you are help to your environment or a hindrance, either you lift up the others or you weigh them down, either you further sanctification or you're a seed of defilement, some kind of influence always radiates from us even if unconsciously. Either you are salt of the earth or you may become pepper of the world, either useful or annoying, either a fruit tree or a poisonous fruit, either a channel of blessing or a means of harm, end quote. And so the point of our text is this, that in view of such possibilities, in view of such state of affairs, in view of such fearful possibility of defection from the faith, it is incumbent of, on each and every believer in Christ to have a caring, watchful regard one for another. No, not to lord it over their faith, not to lord it over them, but to be helpers of their faith. We see a brother or sister who is lagging. What do we do? We come alongside them and I say, you know, I notice. You're not as with it as, as, one, as one time. What is it? What's going on? We're in this together. How is this oversight to be done? How is this caring oversight to be done? And with this we close. I give you two verses. First of all, by admonishing and exhorting one another. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here it comes, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How were the people in Malachi's day, in a day of darkness and apostasy, how were they managing Malachi 3.15? But those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another, Malachi says. Secondly and finally, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here it comes. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see how important fellowship is? See how important the context of the local assembly is? Because when we are in the context of fellowship, what happens? We are under the protection, we are under the oversight of spiritual help, spiritual guidance. Take heed, see to it, that no one among you is falling behind with respect to the grace of God. That no root of bitterness, no person who is apostatizing might do spiritual harm to the fellowship. He's going to say next time, lest there be any fornicator like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Very sobering words. Of course, who is sufficient to enable us to stand Our Lord Jesus, 
by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you something, left to you and me, the best of us, we fall. We come to nothing. It's the appalling grace of God on which we can.